0: My fearless friends, another wonderful episode for you with someone that I admire, someone that I respect so much and someone who inspires me tremendously. And you'll see what I'm talking about in just a few seconds. Today's episode on stories about fear, number 76. Can you believe it's already 76? Two years and a half. What a journey! What amazing lessons in between, and continually learning a special topic for me today learn to say no with Michelle Glogovac. And I have to admit that I forgot to ask Michelle if I pronounced her last name right. Michelle, can you please tell me that? You
1: did, that was perfect.
0: It was perfect. (laughs) Awesome, thank you. A bit about my amazing guest. She is the podcast matchmaker, an award-winning publicist and host of the My Simplified Life podcast and I may say what an amazing work of art her podcast is. You are going to learn more about it in the description of our audio and video for today because it's quite an inspiring piece of art, work of art, because these talks, we can never have enough talks about mental health and prioritizing our well-being. Michelle works with entrepreneurs, authors, and experts, hone their storytelling abilities, grow their businesses, and elevate themselves as thought leaders. Her first book, How to Get on Podcasts debuts in february 2024 wow this is really exciting michelle is a wife mom of two stepmom of two so she has four kids and i have one and i say it's hard she has four okay i need to consider what hard is and she's also a far a fur mom she has her ba and ms in law and is the founder and ceo of the mlg collective welcome michelle what a privilege to have you on oh what a privilege to be introduced that way thank you <laughs> it's my pleasure and As I was telling you earlier, after our talk about a bit of politics, because we are concerned moms and we want the best for our kids. As I saw your profile on Twitter, it was really such an eye opener for me whenever I see mom and a business owner and someone that's so vulnerable and opens up the way that you do. Thanks to our common friend, Matt Gilhuli. What a great guy. He has been such an inspiration for me as well. I thought that we need to have a conversation for sure. And it definitely, it's not disappointing because you have quite some stories, my dear. Can you please tell us, how did you get to have to say no to the people around you last year? because of some health issues that were pretty severe
1: yeah well i i appreciate all of that and i love that you love my twitter because i am very vocal on twitter i don't hold back <laughs> whereas on other social media i might not say exactly what i think but twitter yes i say it how i see it and feel it um but yes a year ago i i was doing all the things. As a mom of two elementary school kids, I was on the PTA. I was the vice president of communications. I had my business. I was the Boy Scout leader, the Girl Scout leader. Um, I was team mom for, you know, soccer, for baseball. I was doing literally all the things that I thought I should be doing. I was a class mom. You know, I was doing a lot. And it was my 41st birthday. We had an amazing day at the beach. It was what I wanted to do. And two days later, I woke up in the middle of the night with a sharp pain in my back. And it was reminiscent to me of when I was pregnant and I would have like sciatica or back pain. And so I just moved over and I thought, well, if I just lie on my side, it'll go away. And it didn't. And this was on a, between a Saturday and a Sunday and it got worse. And I thought, wow, I really pulled something I had. And I remember this, I don't know why, but I had been helping the kids brush their teeth lately because we had some, as they call them here at the dentist, some loosey goosies. and they were having problems with getting the teeth and not hurting themselves. And I kept positioning myself in a way that my back was a little tweaked. And I thought, oh, this is what it is. It's because I've been brushing their teeth in a weird way. Um, And so Sunday we went on, we went to a home improvement store and I was like, oh, it kind of hurts a little more. And I'm out of breath a bit. This is kind of odd. Monday, it was the same thing. And I had called the doctor already. They couldn't see me. They said, we we can see maybe on Friday. This was Monday. I went, okay, fine. I'll check back in. They said, maybe call for a same day appointment first thing tomorrow morning That night, the kids had gone to bed. My husband and I were watching TV, and I shot off the couch because I had such sharp pain. I was seeing stars. I it it was so painful. And he was like, "I should take you to the ER." And I said, "No. What are we going to do with the kids? They're sound asleep. I can't go anywhere. Like it'll be fine. I'll just up the Motrin. I think I have some muscle relaxers from I don't know when. Like I'll just pop some pills and I'll be fine." And went to bed that night, couldn't sleep. It was so painful. So I went down on the couch because I didn't want him to wake up. I thought maybe if I lay flat on my back, which didn't work. I emailed my doctor at four in the morning and I said, I'm emailing you to tell you I'm going to call you at 8am when you open because I'm in so much pain. I need to come in. Called at 8am. They said, yeah, we've got nothing. We can't see you. And I said, I remember saying, well, is there a janitor or anyone like anybody in the office that can see me? No, we can't see you. And I continued to work. I worked from bed that day. I had a heating pad. I was trying everything. And it just continued to get so bad that by two in the afternoon, I hunched to my husband's office down the hall and said, pack up the kids. We have to go to the emergency room. Got to the emergency room. I had punched in my details. It's all digital when you walk in. And before I could finish it, they said, Michelle, we'll take you now. And I went, "What? Well, not it like a three-hour wait at the ER? Like, this is weird. They took me right back, um, not into the actual ER, but into an office. And a doctor came by and she said, do you have blood clots? I go, no, I have like a pinched nerve, lady. Like, the, No, that's not what it is. And she goes, well, we're going to take you back for um, an x-ray. We're going to take your blood because there's a test that can test for that. And she immediately came back after that. My, my husband is outside. I go, just go for dinner or something. I'll be out in a couple hours. I, I really thought this was no big deal. And then they sent me for a CT scan. And for the CT scan, I couldn't even lie down. I was in so much pain. I was crying. And the poor technician had to help me hobble back to my chair when that was done and immediately within 30 minutes of that, she came back. She said, we're admitting you, you're having a pulmonary embolism and your entire lungs are filled with clots. So that was the beginning of five days in the hospital. I had said to my, my husband kids, like, I'll see you later. But by then the kids were now with friends of ours. So he could come back um, to bring me you know, clothes and my Kindle and my phone because I had forgotten my phone <laughs> during all of this. Uh, And I ended up having a thrombectomy. So they went in through my groin to the inferior vena cava to suck out a clot that was potentially going to hit my heart. They also went through my neck to put a filter in because I had asked the doctor, what is the risk of having a thrombectomy? And he said, the risk would be that as we suck the clot out, it could escape and go to your heart. And I said, but that means the risk is death. And the next day he came before the, the the procedure and he said, I thought about what you said. We're going to put a filter in through your neck to block it from escaping. It baffled me that it took me asking him, what are the risks for him to say, what? we could do this? Yes. I, to this day, I don't understand.
0: Oh my God, you were inspired. Yeah. I'm so glad you are speaking out, Michelle. This is phenomenal.
1: I just cannot believe this. This doctor and I had many words after the fact because he forgot to mention in his post-op notes that he had removed the filter. And so six weeks later, I did not know whether or not that I had a filter in. So my hematologist said, we have to find out. And I had to chase this doctor down on a Friday afternoon to find out whether or not I still had something inside of me because he didn't write it down. Um, I also had words with my OBGYN who used to be on the board of the hospital that I was at, um, and who was also part of the doctor's group that I see in regards to the emails that I had sent in regards to the phone calls in which I was told, we'll see you on Friday, because the ER doctor said, if you had waited until Friday, you would be dead. Oh my God. So all of that's now being handled differently because I spoke up, but What concerned me was what about those who didn't, who don't speak up, who don't know how to communicate in this way, who don't know that it's okay to ask the doctor questions, to say, this isn't right. This isn't how it should be done. But in all of this, you know, I I realized that I need to take a step back, that I need to stop doing everything for everyone. You know, we go to a school with over 600 children. That means that there's, you know, at least 300 families, (laughs) you all can do something too. You know, it doesn't have to just fall on me. And so I said, I decided that once I got out of the hospital that I was going to make it the year of quitting, not quietly quitting, because I I don't like that, but saying, I'm giving you this amount of time and you need to find a replacement. I'm going to end my term on the PTA. I'm going to say that, you know, for scouts, I need help. I'm going to put all these things in place. And I was taken aback. And I discussed this with Matt on the life shift of people who said, oh, but you know, can't you just take on this part of this job? Couldn't you just do this? And it was Matt who said to me, wow, they lack empathy. And that's what struck me of you're right. You know, how dare they say, can't you just do this? Because at the same time I was getting people saying, well, you do too much. You did this to yourself. So I was being punished for, you know, having such a health scare. And at the same time, people expected me to just continue on the way I was going.
0: Oh, my God. So, you know, it's shaming anyway. Nothing's good for these people. If you do too much, you shouldn't do too much because, but then, well, why aren't you continuing with what you did before? It's, I'm just so happy and so inspired that you are speaking out, Michelle, We are going to be in politics together. (laughs) (laughs) That was part of it too. I was volunteering
1: on a campaign. So (laughs) luckily that election was over. I was like, well, by November, you know, this election is done. So I don't have to campaign anymore. I don't have to do this. I was uh, working with Moms Demand Action um, for gun safety. And I said, well, after the election, you know, things slow down again. I'm not going to write postcards every weekend. And, you know, there were all of these things. I said, I just, I have to stop. And it reminded me of a book uh, called Winging It by Emma Isaacs. She's an Australian who wrote that when she would go to her kid's school, she's a mom of six, she'd remind herself to sit on her hands. Don't let that hand go up in the air and volunteer, sit on your hands. Because as much as you want to say yes, you should really just say no, because you don't need to do all of the things. And I, it, it's always a reminder in the back of my head. And I wish I would let it come to the front of my head more often. But this is the year of sitting on my hands.
0: <laughs> I love that. And I love it, Michelle, how you mentioned this story, because we are in this culture of overachieving, but we are in fact underachieving because we, in a way, of course, we want everything to be right with The job with our business, with family, friends, and extra activities. But where do we stand in this equation, right? Where Mm -hmm. is the care for us? I have this you know, it's your year of having your hands down, of standing (laughs) on your hands, and it's my year of putting myself first. Because I have been such a strong people pleaser myself too. I've been trying to please my mom and dad and my granny and the people around me. And I got basically with with an awful depression not too long ago and burning out just trying to do the right thing for everyone. And then I said, well, if I'm not doing the right thing for me first it's pointless. Why go through so much pain? And I wanted to ask you, Michelle, what do you think about this overachieving culture for young entrepreneurs? Is there anything that you would advise them not to do to keep a sane uh, and a, a, a good place in their mental health and
1: in their lives? What do you think? As an entrepreneur, when you start your business, It's tough because I started out all by myself and I feel it was an overwhelming time. I worked absolutely insane hours. My husband will tell you I worked too many hours for too little money. I had little kids at home, but I also knew how to do every single thing in my business. So I think that there's a part where you should work to know how everything runs. Figure out what you're good at, but while you're doing it, write down the steps you're taking in order to create whatever you're creating. Because then once you have the steps down, you can pass it on to someone else to do and hire someone to help you. And I did that from day one with my podcast. I was a one woman thing. I always had an editor because that's not in my wheelhouse. I had no desire to learn that, but I wrote the show notes. I did the graphics. When it comes to my business, I do all the pitching. I do the media kits, the research, you know, All of these things I was doing, and it was becoming overwhelming because I was doing so much work all the time where I didn't need to, you know, a lot of it was more administrative stuff that didn't require me to do it. And so in writing down all of those steps, I was easily able to hand it off, hyperlink things, you know, go to this Trello board, here's the link, you know, research this, here's the link. And allow someone else to come in and help me so that I could focus on building the business, getting myself out there more, and just growing and scaling. So I would say, don't think that you have to do it all by yourself, but know your in the ins and outs of your business, and then write everything down so that you know how to do it and can pass it on, and it will still get done the same way that you did it.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. Do it all at first and then see what you can pass forward because our jobs as the visionaries, right? Our jobs in our businesses Mm -hmm. as the visionary is to just produce content, to inspire, to get inspired as well, not to do all of the marketing and writing and everything. I love that. And as you mentioned your business, can you please tell us what inspires you? What's the story behind your matchmaking? I love it. I love <laughs> how that
1: sounds. So I grew up thinking I would be an attorney. At five years of age, I took a briefcase instead of a backpack to school. I thought this is what I am going to do. That's why I have two degrees in law. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so that's the cutest thing I heard. Saying. I swear to God.
1: That. that that was what I thought I was going to do. It was, And then I would watch, I don't know if you ever saw the show Allie McBeal, but in high school, I would watch Allie McBeal and I was like, she's a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to have cute little suits. And that was what I was going to do. But in college, I needed a part-time job to pay for it. And I didn't have a car, but I could walk to the airport. And I was hired on the spot as a customer service rep for the general aviation terminal. So that's where all of the corporate planes go, all the private jets. And I continued working there. And then when I graduated, they gave me a salary and benefits. And I was like, well, this is cool. I'll just keep staying on this track. And so 18 years later, I was still in aviation and I sold jet fuel to corporate flight departments. Um, I was laid off after I had my second child. And that was when I said, okay, I'm done. Like aviation was never what I intended on doing. And with two little tiny humans, keeping rich people in the air isn't really changing the world. So what is it that I can do that gives me flexibility, allows me to have an income and raise these kids in a world that I feel is, you know, more beneficial than the one that I came into. And it took some trial and error. I had, because of what I'd done within aviation, I had coordinated networking events. I was on regional boards. So I thought maybe event planning, but that took me away nights and weekends, which didn't make sense. I thought about social media because I had started a wine blog, but then my head was always down on my phone and that didn't make sense. And then a friend of mine from birthing class for my first child said, you have to listen to this new podcast from this business and life coach. And I was like, well, how do you listen to one? This was 2018. She's like, don't you have an iPhone? It's the purple button. I went, Oh, that's what the button is for. And I started listening. And this woman said, you know, we all have a purpose and a passion. I was like, yes, I believe that, but I have no idea what mine is. I that this is great. But what is it? And so I started Instagramming about it, you know, that I'm on this path. I'm going to figure it out. And she reached out to me and said, You obviously like what I'm producing do you want to pitch me to be interviewed on other shows? And I went, what, this is a thing? Yeah, I'll do that. And so I started pitching her. I started learning everything that there was in a podcast. So I started producing her show, which then created a new business. I was producing other shows. I launched a course, uh, and but I fell in love with the pitching part because similar to aviation, I was selling my clients because I believed in them. You know, I believed in the company that I worked for for over a decade, and that's why it was easy because not only did I believe in them, but I was also creating relationships. To this day, I have relationships still with the clients from my aviation days. And that's what it is, and what I do for podcast pitching and working with clients. I am able to talk to them, hear their story, and pick out the interesting parts to create their speaking topics, then listen to other shows and say, you know what? This is the show that would match with what you want to talk about because this is the value you're going to bring. But then not only that, showing them how to show up as a good guest who's present, who's listening, who's not checking their phone or typing away because I've, done enough interviews where I can hear the clickety clack of you're sending an email while we're talking. And that is not being a good guest. Um, but then also taking it a step further and showing them how to repurpose the interviews into greater marketing content. And so they expand their reach. So that is the story of how it all came to be. Um, and then when it comes to writing, I, I always, I'm a big writer. I love to journal. I always have since I was a kid And I thought, I want to write a book, like uh, books, my shelves are filled, I'm constantly reading. And I interviewed a book coach on one of my episodes and she said, well, the first book you write has to be on what you know and what you're known for. After that, you can write whatever you want. I was like, well, you know, I guess this whole podcast pitch thing, like that's what I'm known for. And I hired a book coach. Uh, I had already had everything outlined. My chapters were done. She helped me create a proposal. I sent it out to query agents, landed an agent and then landed a book deal with McGraw Hill and it's on how to get on podcasts and it includes everything that I just said, you know, and then some which is exciting, it's nerve-wracking, it's it's all the things. <laughs>
0: Wow, this is amazing, Michelle. What a story. And I love it how you never settled. You knew you had something more to do than to be in the aviation, which, to be honest, I'm just loving this field so much. I love to travel and I'm just fascinated by planes. And now, you know, as I'm hearing you speak, I see that we have so many things in common that it's just getting me so excited, even more excited to have you here today. So Thank you. <laughs> I am just super curious. You've been through so many changes. You have found your mission. How do you see fear? What do you think that maybe
1: fear taught you over the years? You know, I there's a part of me that feels like I don't fear anything. I, I fear death, <laughs> that I do. But when there's something, a goal anything you know to me fear and failure are things that just don't you don't have to you don't have to fear fear or failure because as long as you try your best and give it your all and know that then you can't fail you will learn from whatever you're doing yes and and so I don't I don't want to say I don't have fear, you know, there's always this, that being an entrepreneur, there's ups and downs, you know, there's, oh, you have contracts and then, oh, this client can't pay you or, oh, this contract's going to end and, oh, but here comes another one and you have your highs and your lows. And so I've taught myself over the years of, you know, when you get that pit in your stomach of, oh, this client just left because, and not because of me, but because they couldn't afford suddenly the payment, you know, something to that extent of saying, it's okay. Something bigger and better will come along. And I literally had this happen this week. And I was saying to my husband last night, you know, ah, like, here we go again. And, and there's ups and downs. And I tell you all the time and he goes, yeah, but every time there's a down, you turn around and you're like, yeah. And then I just landed this one. It's even bigger. And he goes, so I'm not worried. Like, why would you be worried? Oh, great attitude. Love it. It takes practice <laughs> and it's not always perfect, but I really do think that if you go, okay, that that's going to go, that it's, you know, the, the when one door closes, another one opens. It's that whole thing. And my my mindset is that when the other door opens, it's going to be a bigger door and something bigger is going to be on the other side of that than the one that just closed.
0: I am enjoying this so much and I believe the same way too. And I think that failure and mistake making is such a normal, natural part of life. It's basically like breathing. You just cannot expect to have everything going right. It doesn't make sense. And I really think that it would be extremely boring if you knew that everything that you are about to do is going to turn out in a certain way, because as you just said, opportunity missed, hello, bigger opportunity, just so Mm -hmm. much more excitement and so much more value that you get from the people that you get to collaborate with you. So it's, just amazing either way we kind of you know we win or we learn but it's winning <laughs> yes way.
1: so
0: yeah a great mindset and it's wonderful that you have your husband you know supporting you giving you the nudge when you feel like oh well but it's great that you guys are such a great team and I have a feeling that you are very excited for February to have your book launch yes <laughs> can you please tell us a bit? Maybe what's your favorite part of the book? Because I'm so curious to see what your take on this
1: is. Oh uh, well, which is the favorite part? Where there's like sixty thousand words. So, <laughs>
0: oh, that's a big one. Okay, you
1: know the first the first chapter was the hardest to write, and it's because that's not my secret sauce, but it is literally what I do in talking to clients to create their speaking topics, and to put in words and on paper exactly what that process is was the hardest part. Um, I, I love that I give real life examples on pitches that I've received and what not to do. <laughs> that was, that was a joy <laughs> because I keep a, a file in my inbox of bad pitches and I pulled word for word. I changed things so you can't see who it is, but you will see the actual pitches that I have received for my own show wow. that may, it's cringeworthy because I know that someone is paying an agency to do this work. And this is the work that they're producing and it's gross and it's, it's just lazy, you know? So I, I love putting that in there to show this is what you don't do, but then the entire book is filled with, this is what you should do. You know, here are the examples. Uh, There's exercises for every chapter of I've explained this. Now it's your turn to go do your homework do this. Uh, I will be creating a course to complement it. So when I start pre-sales in October, November, if you buy the book pre-sale, you'll get the course for free. And so you can have me at the same time in your ear and get ready for it, you know, but it's great that we'll be able to start a new year with, you know, if your goal is to get yourself out there and be interviewed, now you have this book that's going to tell you exactly how to do it.
0: Wow, this is fascinating. My fearless friends, keep an eye on Michelle's amazing work because you'll be finding all of her links in the description of this episode. And I know, Michelle, that you are working on having your website out, right? You will send me everything because I'm sure Mm -hmm. that our fearless friends want to get in touch with you and see your amazing work because I'm so much enjoying... The fact that you also have your own podcast. So you're not only pitching others and believing in them and in their work, but you also have your own show. Would you tell us a bit about your show? What's happening there?
1: Yes. And on the website, I do have the mlgcollective.com. It's michelleglogovac.com that by the time this airs, it will be up and out. And it is all about way too much about me. <laughs> There's too many photos of me, but it will be where, you know, all of my my author stuff will, will be living. Um, and My Simplified Life is the podcast. It started out as, you know, I just want to talk about what I've gone through uh, as a mom, as someone who worked in corporate space, who launched a business. And then I started interviewing people and I was like, this is great. We've all had a pivot somewhere along the way. Everyone is inspiring. Uh, I interview a lot of authors and some say there's too many authors, but the fact of the matter is that we don't just talk about the book. We talk about how did you come to where you are? Because most authors didn't start out as, oh, I I graduated college and I wrote a book. That's not an author's story. And there's so much that goes into a life, you know, of anyone so that's really what what the podcast is about. It's about finding out about pivots, being inspired, finding out that there's different ways to do different things, you know, no matter what it is if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an author, if you're an advocate, an activist. But to hear these stories and I interview everyone from mothers from I've had a former federal prison inmate on the show hearing about his journey, because I think that, you know, to be empathetic, you need to hear these stories and to learn from them to really fully grasp what someone has gone through uh, to understand why certain people are fighting the fights that they do. And so that's really what the show is all about to give you a worldview of other people, of journeys, of stories to be inspired. And then I share, you know, my own stories and journeys along the way, along with, you know, some podcast pitching tips and tools and, and, and things like that.
0: That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you for sharing, Michelle. This is wonderful. And You know, as I said earlier, what drew me to you was the fact that you're also a mom and you have four kids. Jesus, (laughs) I never in my life, Michelle, really, I should never in my life complain that, oh, I have a daughter and sometimes it's tough. No, I'm going to just change this starting from today because I admire you so much For having so many things going on and can you please tell us for all the moms and dads out there do you have any secrets (laughs) to combining motherhood and business
1: well my, my first and only parental advice that i ever give expectant moms is to remember that everything is a phase so yes they might be crying all night in two weeks they will be sleeping it is a phase there will be an end point Just remember that. And that was my mantra because my kids are a year and three weeks apart. So there were a lot of sleepless nights, but if you remind yourself that everything's just a phase, you get through it. When I launched my business, they were not in school yet. And I would go to play dates with other moms and they'd see me working and they'd question, you know, why are you doing this? Like they're not in school yet. And I said, yes, but at some point they will go to kindergarten. And I would rather start my business small While they're at home and ramp it up so that by the time they're in kindergarten, I now have a full fledged business and I'm not starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. I've already built a foundation. And there was another mom who said, I remember that. This is years ago. She said, I remember on the playground, you told me that. And I took it to heart and I started because of that. Mm -hmm. And now I have my business and my kids are all in school. And so it it hit home that, you know, you don't have to start some huge business. You don't have to make your six figures, you know, in that first year, and they're still at home and grinding all the hours, but start small, figure out what you want to do, and then allow yourself to grow. I've doubled year over year over year. And now that they're in school, I have this not quote free time, but I have the uninterrupted time to continue the growth because they're now in school and I'm not starting from square one.
0: Wow, this is the best advice that I ever heard. And (laughs) what a lucky mom to have heard you to say (laughs) that to her because it's really, it's it's life-changing, Michelle. And you're so fortunate to have heard this from her because, you know, my mentor once said a few years ago before I even started my podcast that, you know, Roxana maybe you will not even know the impact that you have on people maybe it's a word or a sentence or something that you said at the right time for someone that is struggling and they may never tell you you may never see anything coming from them but just know that you have changed their lives for the better and i'm so happy that you shared this story because most of the times we think that well If we don't get any exterior validation, if we don't get people raving about us and our work and our businesses and our podcasts, we're just not doing enough. But it's on the contrary. Maybe that silence is helping someone just look at things, you know, from a whole new perspective. And about the exterior validation, I did choose today's title to learn to say no. What would you say that the best advice for someone that's struggling, an entrepreneur that's struggling with people pleasing, what can they do to put an end to
1: this? I think look at what you do that someone else could do. And I know it's a struggle to say no when you've been doing something. So once again, just as I do in my business, as I handed things off, I wrote it all down. This is how I do it. These are the links. This is what you have to do. Here's the timeline. And I passed it off. So I knew that I wasn't just saying, I quit, goodbye. And I closed the door. I literally handed them a silver platter and said, here's how you do it. So just find someone to read the document and they can do exactly what I just did. Uh, You know, and to me, that was, I didn't leave anyone high and dry. I felt good about the way I passed things off And was able to say, well, now, you know, the ball's in your court. If you don't follow through on reading the document, that's not my problem. But I know that I gave you all of the knowledge that I have in order for me to step back and put myself first, to put my family first, to put my business first. You know, think about what it is that is important to you. And those are the three things that are the most important for me, you know, to focus on my health, to wake up in the morning to go row on the machine or you know hit the treadmill to bring my kids to school to be able to volunteer in the way that I want without doing all the things you know if you're volunteering what's giving the most impact what gives you the most joy to me it's being in the classroom it's not raising money uh someone else can raise the money this year i would prefer to work one on one with my children and with their classmates and to get to know them so you know, looking at that, it doesn't mean you have to say no to all of these things, but say yes to what's going to best serve you. And when you step back from the other things, you know, make it a smooth handoff. And so that way you don't have to feel bad and the next person can pick up where you left off.
0: I love that so much. Thank you for mentioning this because we sometimes think that delegating means quitting. But as you just said, It's not like you hand in the towel, I'm done. No, you just need to basically, I think, Michelle, trust yourself that much that you can offer the other person trust that they themselves, right? Can do this as well. Because it's also giving them the opportunity to shine, to maybe, who knows, find a new path in life. Because you never know like where life takes you. Like you said in your amazing story, you wanted to do. You wanted to be a law person, but then aviation showed up for 18 years and that turned out to be amazing. So it's just trusting the process at the end of the
1: day. Yeah. And knowing that you're not failing just because you switched something. Because I could easily say that, oh, I failed because I tried event planning and I tried social media. I didn't fail. I figured out what I like to do. So you know, looking at those things as they were just a a fork in the road that I decided to take the other way.
0: 100%. Because how will you know if you don't do it all? How will you know if you don't put it in practice? It's like reading about swimming. It doesn't make any sense until you go and swim and feel the water. It just, you can read a hundred books. And I love that you don't have any fear of failure, which is just a normal step in living That's it. It's nothing else. And I'm just so grateful that you shared that. It just feels so natural to hear you mention this. And I can feel that you have so many more amazing things going on. And I'm just so excited to follow your work next. And, you know, we just need to be in contact because we need to be in politics together, (laughs) We need to, we will do something. I have a feeling about that because you're just so outspoken, yet you are so warm. I've oh, I thank you. met anyone that, you know, so most of the people that I worked with or that I interviewed amazing people, but you know, they seemed maybe so passionate. They maybe seemed off a bit aggressive, which is again, another awesome side of passion. But you are so warm and so gentle, and you are killing them with kindness, which I so <laughs> much appreciate. This is a rare gift that you have, Michelle, and I'm so inspired by you and your work. And Thank you. You do things, and I'm just so happy again for Matt to have put the shining light on you on his podcast, because this is how we just get to learn and to become better people by just enlarging our circles and learning from from you, from these amazing people that come our way, I think with a purpose. So can you please tell us, Michelle, where can we find you? Where can we get in touch with you and see your amazing work?
1: Yes, the MLGcollective.com is where all of the agency and the podcast is. Uh, And by the time this airs, Michelle Glogovac.com will also be live with uh, where you can find the book and speaking and all of that stuff. I'm active on Twitter, at Mick Glogovac. I'm active on Instagram, at Michelle Glogovac, um, on threads, on Facebook, literally all the places, LinkedIn, <laughs> if it's social media, then I'm there. I'm also on TikTok recently. Uh, not many followers, not many videos, but that is the ma- the podcast matchmaker. So you can find me there too. <laughs>
0: awesome, Michelle Thank you so much for this really ground shaking, this really inspiring episode. I've just learned so much from you and I feel so motivated to be even more outspoken, to not let anything come between me and my dreams and to always say out loud what I have to say because I've just recently began speaking out. I'm in Eastern Europe a bit of communism touch still is felt here even after 30 years. So entrepreneurship is not too much developed here, but as we just get our passions to be in front of other people and as we just are leading our lives through our passions and what we believe in, I think that we can make a change. So you just are inspiring me to be more, to do more.
1: I'm so grateful.
0: Thank you for this absolutely beautiful episode. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you.